Welcome to the Hurricane Center podcast, produced by the Storm Science Network and part of the National Tropical Weather Conference. This podcast is made possible by USAA, the South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylock's Hurricane Clips. Uh, back with us today is uh, is our uh, infamous storm chaser, uh, Mr. Josh Morgerman. Uh, uh, Josh normally originates from Los Angeles, and we're going to talk a little bit about the logistics of how he uh, worked this season. And it's kind of fortuitous that he had to come to Mississippi, I think, given all the activity we had in there. And uh Hopefully, we'll be able to meet live uh, at our meeting in April and uh, be regaled with uh, the productions of, uh, of your chases there. So, uh, uh, welcome, Josh. You did things different this hurricane season. You set up in Mississippi. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, God, what a what a year to set up here. I mean, I could not have anticipated that this would have been out of like 170 years of, of uh, you know, documented hurricane seasons that this would be the best one to set up on the Gulf Coast. Uh, the genesis of the idea was uh, basically it was COVID. You know, I was, uh, you know, like a lot of people just kind of in lockdown uh, in L.A. all winter and and, uh, you know, it was just or a spring, I should say, and was uh, realizing that, hey, you know, I'm basically going to be stuck in North America the entire hurricane season, which, you know, was going to eradicate things for me because I'm a global chaser. I chase every hemisphere. And actually, the last decade, a lot of my chasing has been outside of the United States and mostly in East Asia. You know, I've, I've had whole seasons where basically everything I chase were typhoons in Western Pacific. So with those countries closed down and with air travel just kind of basically shut down, I'm like, all right, if I'm going to be stuck in the U.S., how am I going to do this? The other thing was I didn't want to get on planes, you know, it just didn't seem like a good idea. So I was like, all right, why don't I just do things different this year and uh, headquarter in the heart of the USA's hurricane country so that I could just road trip to everything, take airplanes out of the equation, take my passport out of the equation. So I looked at a map and I'm like, all right, so I want to be somewhere where I can, I can get to South Texas, South Florida and the Eastern Carolinas with sort of equal speed in a car and that midpoint is Mississippi. So it was as simple as that. So it was basically, initially, it was a purely geographical decision. It was like, all right, this is a good midpoint. And so I just hunted around for a house to rent and, uh, and happened upon an, a really nice one here in Bay St. Louis, a house that has very cool history, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but that's how I ended up here. Uh, actually now I, I, having lived here now for so many months, I feel, I actually feel very, I, I've really grown to love Mississippi and also specifically Bay St. Louis where I am now. So, uh, now it's, it's not so much a random sort of geographical, uh, midpoint now, as much as it is a place that's kind of, kind of grown on me quite a bit. You think you might go back there in future seasons, regardless of the, the pandemic issues? Yeah, you know, that is that is actually the plan. You know, folks have been asking me about that. And actually, my plan is to come back uh, next July uh, to do it way again. I really, you know, being a chaser and being a chaser the way I do it, where I'm really hardcore, you know, I'm, I'm like on the road or I should say in the air constantly, you know, over the course of a hurricane, chase after chase. I mean, a typical year now, I chase eight to 10 hurricanes and some of those are huge 
multinational expeditions. And, you know, it's like, like a professional athlete, you kind of, you know, you deal with burnout, uh, you know, after years and years of doing it. And, and it's just, it's just like what you see with athletes, you know, you just, you, you're, you know, you're really hot on your game for a long time. And then you just start to, it's just burnout is the only way I can describe it. It's exhausting and doing it different this year, mixing it up where I'm just, I'm living in hurricane country and, you know, every chase is a road trip. I'm just hot in the car and just driving. And I love driving. I'm one of these people. I, you know, I, I like it. You know, uh, I live in LA and people are like, Oh, LA has traffic. Like a lot of smart Angelinos I've designed my life where I don't deal with traffic in my whole actually live in a, in a part of LA where I could walk to everything and all that. So, so I love driving and, and sort of road tripping this year and kind of mostly taking airports out of the equation and just the drag of airports, you know, uh, taking that out of the equation has made it kind of fun for me again. You know, I feel like I kind of had a little bit of a renaissance this, this year with my chasing. And I thought to myself, you know, next summer, you know, I mean, with these vaccines and everything, it looks like, wow, we might be back to normal, which I'm really excited about. We all miss our old lives. Right. But I'm thinking I want to, I want to do it this way again next year, you know, station here in the Gulf and, uh, and, and, and chase uh, internationally again, you know, I've been looking at it, you know, I live in Bay St. Louis, which is a, uh, um, near new orleans that's the closest major airport it's just about an hour away and you know i can still get out to the eastern uh, the western pacific and chase typhoons from here it's an extra step you know la was really easy in that way because you know from la you could fly just nonstop to tokyo to manila to uh, taipei from new orleans that's going to be an extra step but uh but i'm, I'm thinking that's how i want to do it this year I, i've somehow and i really enjoyed the experience of not just hunting the hurricanes, but living in hurricane zone and experiencing it as a, as a resident, as a Gulf Coast resident who's just uh, looking out in the Gulf every day and wondering uh, what it's going to send our way. It's been really interesting. Very cool. So what what's it like uh, uh, being a, a transplanted New Yorker, L.A. dude uh, living in uh, southern Mississippi on the coast? You know, it's been it's been like a culture shock, but but fun culture shock. You know, I'm a, I'm an adventurer at heart. And, you know, I love being anywhere that I, I'm not familiar with and that I haven't been. You know, I lived in Europe for many years in Eastern Europe. And I like that because it was really different. And in some ways, yeah, living in southern Mississippi, coastal Mississippi, it was it was a lot of in a lot of ways. It was like moving to a foreign country, you know, it was like, almost like, wait, do I need my passport here? And, uh, but that, that, that's what made it fun. That's, that's what, you know, especially after months of just living in lockdown in LA, you know, I've always been a big traveler and, and, you know, leading up to this summer, you know, it's just months and months of just no travel, just, just like a lot, just like all of us, you know, just kind of stuck in one place. And I was, I was just having this wanderlust, like, my God, I just, I just need to get somewhere else. And so driving across the country and then setting up in this house in this town that I didn't really know very well was just awesome. And, uh, and I'll tell you, I've, you know, I've been a city guy my whole life. You know, I grew up in uh, New York, suburban New York. And, uh, you know, I've lived, uh, you know, my whole adult life in uh, LA. I went to college in Boston. This is the first time I lived in a small town. And man, I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that I really dig about it. You know, I especially love Bay St. Louis. I mean, it's really like, it, it's, you know, I feel like it's my home now. You know, when I come back here, I'm definitely coming back to Bay St. Louis. But, you know, it's this cool little town right on the Gulf. And uh, the downtown area is right on the Gulf, which is cool. And it's all these like really um, awesome old houses. And it's this really cool architecture that we don't have in California. It's really different, you know, like the porches. It's just like, it's just, to me, it's really beautiful. I really like it. And uh, the pace of life is obviously different. 
uh, in a way that I find really uh, kind of refreshing. You know, as a city guy, you know, I've always I noticed that there's I had this kind of go 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 mentality about everything. You know, even when I'm driving, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm aggressive, but you know, uh, you know, when I'm, even like when I'm in LA and I'm driving, you know, it's like I'm always like looking for that opening to just you know get around the car in front of me. And you know, when I got here, I realized like people that's just not how it is here. You know, it's, it's just, it's like, it's just totally, you know, people relax. Everyone stops at stop signs. It's just, there's like, a, you know, you're, you know, you're walking up to like, you know, the, the doorway of the coffee shop and the other person like lets you go before them. And it's like, and it kind of changed me, you know, I've kind of rewired a little bit and it's, it's nice. I've just kind of sort of slowed down, taken a breath, been a little more present in the moment. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been a really good thing for me in that sense. It's just, uh, I, I found it kind of very refreshing and people here are really nice, you know, I run a lot, um, you know, and, you know, people are sitting on their porches and, you know, people you don't know, and they just, you know, they wave to you when you go by, like people just like wave and say hi, people that you don't know. And that's, that's nice. I think that's really neighborly. So, so yeah, I definitely like, I dig, uh, I dig the vibe here. It's really cool. Cool. Did anyone yell run forest run as you ran by? <laughs> no, 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 no sassy remarks. Just, just supportive waves. <laughs> cool. Uh, I was uh, spent a lot of time looking around that part of the coast after Katrina, mostly to uh, uh, see how bad the damage was and what maybe had been done different. Uh, you said it's an older house and it managed to not get wiped out by either Camille or uh, or Katrina. What's the deal with its location, given everything else got whacked? Yeah, this house, you know, I'm also not just a chaser, but I'm a total history nerd, you know, and, and folks who follow me on Twitter know that when I'm not chasing, I'm, I'm, you know, making cool infographics about historic storms. I love history. History is what I studied in college. and I love hurricane history. And that also made Bay St. Louis really exciting to me. So when I was growing up as this really harsh weather nerd teenager I mean, thank God there was not Twitter Twitter when I was a teenager because I would have been the most annoying 15 year old in the history of social media. Oh my God. <laughs> I think like the world should be grateful. There was not Twitter when I was a teenager, but, um, you know, I remember like, you know, when I was growing up reading about the great hurricanes of the past, and of course, Camille, you know, this is before Andrew and Katrina, Camille was the benchmark, you know, it was the greatest American hurricane. And uh, I remember reading the accounts, you know, Bay St. Louis always came up because the the eye, you know, it made landfall in Waveland, which is the town next to us, and the eye passed over Bay St. Louis. And, uh, and, you know, so Bay St. Louis, you know, as this kid in New York, it just, it, it was this dot on the map that had kind of sort of mythical you know, significance to me as, you know, just like, wow, the eye of a cat five passed over that town. Like, that's cool. So it was fun to like then live here. And this house in particular, the house that you're looking at right behind you, Hurricane House, uh, is probably about 90 years old. And I talked to the owner a lot about the house because I was just really into the history. Uh, his son actually renovated it with his own two hands and did a really cool job. It's like beautifully renovated house, but it's old. And the bones of this house are really strong. So this house has been through the 1947 hurricane, which devastated the Mississippi coast. The center actually stayed offshore and went into Louisiana, but the kind of the right side of it just blasted the Mississippi coast with tremendous storm surge. And then of course, Camille, 150 knot or 175 mile an hour hurricane, the eye passed right over this house here uh, and the house stayed up. And then Katrina, the owner told me that the storm surge came up to the porch steps and stopped. And, you know, uh, so, so, you know, this house has just been through and survived it all, uh, you know, and as a lot of your listeners or viewers or viewers uh, probably know, you know, 
Katrina made landfall that the exact center of it crossed the coast right at the Mississippi-Louisiana border, like near Slidell. So what that meant was that St. Louis Bay and Bay St. Louis and past Christiane were in that right eye wall and had the maximum storm surge. So the maximum storm surge was focused right here, basically in St. Louis Bay. And it's, as far as I know, the highest storm surge in American history. I mean, it was pushing 30 feet. So the storm surge destruction in this town and neighboring Waveland and past Christiane and Long Beach and, and, and all the way out to the Gulfport, because you know, it was a big hurricane with a big core. The storm surge damage here was just off the charts. And uh, in fact, much of the base St. Louis downtown has had to rebuilt because the destruction was so massive. Uh, but that said, you know, a lot of the houses in this town, these are old houses that have survived all these storms. You know, they don't, they don't build them like they used to. This this one in particular, this house, you know, folks see pictures of the hurricane, as my hurricane house, as I call it, from the outside. And it looks like this cute little house. It doesn't look like, it, you don't realize how sturdy this thing is, but the owner's son who renovated it said, you know, when he looked inside these walls, this is one of these solid, solid old houses. This thing is made real sturdy. I mean, obviously, if it survived Camille and Katrina and all these storms, and it's still here, you can trust it. Well, I'd like to like to reincarnate the guy who designed it because he was way ahead of his times. If you look right. at now, <laughs> that's very interesting. Uh, switching a little bit, little bit to the season now, um, from your perspective, I mean, we've all been in, engrossed in the massive numbers of storms we had. What, what, from your perspective, what made this season unique for you? Well, obviously, you know living here, you know, in, in hurricane zone to experience it and, and road tripping to every uh, storm that, that made it unique personally uh, in terms of U S impacts, uh, you know, as you guys know, but I'll just say for, for viewers that don't this year tied 1886 and 1985 for the most hurricane landfalls in the continental United States. So there were six six times a hurricane center crossed the American coastline. And like I said, it's only happened two other times in records going back to 1851. It happened in 1886 and it happened in 1985. So that was unique. But then even more crazy, the activity was super Gulf centric. You know, and you find that, you know, the one thing, you, you know, when we look at like historic hurricane tracks, like I told you I'm a history nerd. And again, as you guys know, this uh, hurricane tracks, or activity tends to cluster in certain areas. So certain years or certain groups of years will have a lot of impacts in the same place. Like for example, in the 1940s, the late 1940s, 1940, like right after the war, uh, Florida just got smashed again and again. 1945 to 1950, Florida just got all these category four hurricanes. It was nuts. And ones that hit like Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Then the 1950s, it was the East Coast. Everything went up the East Coast and smashed the population centers in the Northeast. My mother remembers as a teenager in New York City, she just was like, oh my God, when I was a teenager, we were getting hurricanes all the time. And, and she was right. They were all going up the coast. 60s was more of like a Gulf uh, decade and so on. This year, uh, 2020 was just super, super Gulf centric. I mean, except for ESA, ES, um, all of the hurricane impacts were right here in, in the Gulf. And uh, that, so that really made it remarkable. And obviously it made it a real endurance test for residents from, you know, South Texas all the way to the Florida Panhandle. You know, the only area that looks like it kind of got off easy, you could say, is the Florida Peninsula. But the rest of the Gulf Coast just got raked. Yeah, there's a, a graphic going around where someone highlighted a map of the eastern U.S. with all the counties on it and all the counties that had warnings or watches in there. And oddly enough, there was only a couple of counties 
that never went under a warning uh, centered around Tallahassee up in the Big Bend of Florida. Oh, wow. Otherwise, all the way from Maine to Brownsville, we've had impacts. So didn't you hit any important milestones this year in terms of how many hurricanes you've been in? Yeah, this really, you know, I, I keep track of my, uh, my, my chasing my stats. You know, like I said, I always, I, I've always thought of it like a sport, you know, and I'm, and I'm really into my stats and yeah. Uh, so I, I reached the, my, my, uh, a big milestone. I, I hit 50 hurricane eyewalls this year. So 50 times that I've been in the, uh, the core or the eyewall of, of a hurricane strength system. And then I blew past that milestone. So now I'm up to 55 and uh, I've been in th and, and now 38 hurricane eyes. So those, uh, those are some kind of exciting milestones to hit. I did not expect with the pandemic that I, I just kind of increased my numbers so much this year. Uh, it was just incredible. I mean, of all the years for me to be just basically trapped in North America, to, to, it's just incredible that all the activity basically just came to me. It was really nuts. Wow. Uh, why don't we go through some of the storms and what made them unique and uh, Tim or Alex jump in on ones that particularly interest you if uh, if uh, you got a question to add to what we're what we're chatting about here. So uh, what about Hannah? That's one of Tim's favorites. <laughs> Yeah, so Hannah, so that was, I uh, I just got into Mississippi. I, I got here, I think, on July 11th or something, and I had just settled in and, uh, you know, was wondering if there might be some early season action, and then there was, you know. And uh, Hannah, I remember initially I was not too bullish about it. I did not think it was going to be a hurricane, um, but it was an example of the uh, sort of for me as a chaser, the advantage of living down here on the Gulf Coast was, well, I didn't have to be sure that it was going to be a hurricane. I didn't have to make a decision to go fly somewhere. I'm like, well, I'll just get in the car and I'll drive. And if it's not a hurricane, OK, I just, you know, I wasted some gas, not the end of the world. Uh, it was a long drive, you know, because it, it wasn't just in Texas. It was in South Texas, which is, you know, the U.S. Gulf Coast is pretty, pretty long. And I had to go, you know, almost to the Mexican border to hunt this thing down. But yeah, Hannah really came together and uh, was surprising. You know, folks always uh, ask me, you know, I've been in five category five hurricanes. I've been in, you know, more than a dozen uh, category four and five combined. You know, I've, I've been in like the, the worst of the worst. You know, I've been in the strongest landfalling hurricane uh, in the Atlantic, in the Eastern Pacific and in the uh, Western Pacific. In all those, I've been in the strongest landfalling storm. And so people ask me, oh, you know, do you get bored with cat and ones. I'm like, no, man, a hurricane's a hurricane. And Hannah actually, uh, that thing had a surprising kick to it. You know, it just reminded me every hurricane is a big deal. You know, when I got down to Port Mansfield and that place was getting raked by that category one eyewall, you know, it's, it just, it had that awesome power, you know, that, that her, that all hurricanes have, you know, I talked to less experienced chasers and they're like, Hey, I'm not going to go for that. That's, that's a cat one. I'm like, huh? I'm like, what? You're too good for a cat and one. I'm not. <laughs> like, and Hannah was a good, a good reminder that the thing had some real power. And uh, and the the drive back afterward, uh, back up to uh, Kingsville, where I was staying, was was really quite treacherous. But that thing had a real kick. Uh, Port Mansfield got blasted by it. Uh, fortunately, it looks like town got through okay. Uh, little did I realize that that first storm of the season was just a tiny appetizer. What was going to come? So that was your focus point was Port Mansfield or did you try any of the other, uh, there's not a whole lot of access to the water fronts down there. 
Yeah, like South Texas, you know, that that as you guys know, I mean, I'm talking to a bunch of Texans right now. You guys know that, that better than anyone that 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 kind of zone between Corpus Christi and Brownsville, there's just not a lot there. And it's hard to, you know, find a good spot. My initial target for Hannah was uh, was Riviera Beach in Baffin Bay. And I thought that was going to be perfect. And actually, I had a place like literally right on the water. And, you know, it was going to be on the right side of the hurricane as it came ashore. So there's going to be onshore flow. So I'm like, wow, this will be really dramatic. I'll get a good shot of the storm surge, had the car on high ground. Everything was perfect. But the hurricane actually just really, it kept dipping south. And uh, I looked like the eye wall just barely, it looked like it was going to, I think it actually missed that area, but I really wanted to get in the center. So at the last second, you know, I bailed and went further south. And that was a hard decision. I, I get this thing and I notice other chasers get it. I call it chaser dude inertia, where late in it you pick a location that and it's like it's it's like a sexy location it's perfect it's like right on the waterfront you got these amazing views and it's just like ah it's like chaser dude's dream it's exactly what you want and then the hurricane moves or it goes somewhere else and and you know you're so in love with the location that you're like all right I th- i'm gonna stay here anyway you know you can't it's like your feet feel like like they're cement blocks like you don't want to move because the location's so awesome and one of the things as a chaser I've had to I've had to learn how to do is break that inertia and just be like, OK, yeah, this is a really cool location. But if you stay here, you're going to miss the storm. So I just managed to, you know, you just tear yourself away. You get in that car. You keep hunting, hunting, hunting. So I went down Highway 77. And as you know, there's yeah, there's like basically no access to the water for like quite a ways. Uh, and then basically the next good opportunity to really be close to the action was Port Mansfield. And actually, the eye ended up passing over Port Mansfield. Uh, we were in the calm for a while. So it ended up being the right location. Yeah, that storm really, it just dipped further south than I expected at the very last second. But, you know, I was able to to uh, to relocate. I love chasing in Texas. In terms of the United States, Texas is probably my favorite turf. Uh, it's very chaseable. You know, the highways are really good. You know, you can really get around. Uh, you can maneuver easily and get in good locations. So I, I really dig chasing in Texas. That said, you know, the area between Corpus and Brownsville is is a little bit of a black hole. <laughs> it can be challenging, especially when you get down to Kennedy County. It's just like, you know, you're going to ride out the storm with a couple of cows. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think Tim is always saying that uh, once when you reach Raymondville, you need a passport. <laughs> <laughs> Either direct, that's true, Bill. And, you know, and, and Josh, the unique thing about that storm, too, was that, that if you were on the south side of it, that's where all the action was, because the north side, it was a backward storm. That right front quadrant was not very active. The south side was the active side. Yeah, that, you know, that's a great point. When I was looking at the radar afterward, I was noticing that it had that. It, it like you said, it was like kind of a through the looking glass storm where that that it, where the, the wrong side was strong. And what's interesting is one of the great great hurricanes of South Texas, Celia of 1970 was the same way you know it was really interesting we all think of you know and a lot of chasers have it in their head that the right front quad is always the strongest part but hurricane celia of 1970 which absolutely devastated corpus christi was another one of those backward storms it was moving west and the south eyewall passed over corpus you guys know this again i'm just saying for the for the viewers but the south eyewall passed over corpus christi and that was the that was the intense part and there was also some weird microburst action or something going on but that south iowa was just very convective and intense and it blasted the city full on with gusts over 160 miles an hour i mean that thing was a monster and if you look at the radar shots and yeah there was radar back then 
not as nice and colorful as we have now, but there's radar. But when you look at the radar shots in Celia, it really looked backwards. There was that really robust South eye wall and the Northern part up near Rancis pass looked kind of like broken and not, not really, it was really a very lopsided storm, but the part of it that had bite had serious bite. Very cool. Well, then you went, then you went to Isaias and I, I described, uh, I would describe following your, uh, uh, adventure on that as a, as kind of a, a real time where's Waldo thing. <laughs> that chase was like, there was, I, I found it almost in, I was like, in, I found it embarrassing. I felt like, like the, the butt of a joke chasing that thing. I mean, I really literally, I felt like I, it was like undignified that I was hunting down this piece of junk you know, to the far corners of the earth. I literally was like, this is undignified. This is beneath you. So I, I drove and drove and drove from Mississippi down to South Florida. And, you know, whether it was going to hit South Florida as a hurricane or not, or, or even hit was, was iffy, but I decided again, I'm like, Hey, I'm down here. I'm down here to chase. I'm just going to go after everything. So I just was like, I'll just go for it. And of course, not only it, it, it not only weakened below hurricane strength, but it missed South Florida. So I, I drove all the way down there basically for nothing. And it was the first bust that I'd had in years where I'd, I'd gone for a hurricane and just, you know, it, like missed it. But then there was sort of what I call the resurrection. Um, I, I, I realized, you know, as it was, it was going up the coast, wait, there's an opportunity here. It might actually, might actually hit the Carolinas as a hurricane. And I think that the, the model's were mixed at that point, but I decided, you know, I was, I was on the fence about it. Cause I, I, I felt like I already got burned by this storm once and I didn't want to embarrass myself anymore. And I think I remember thinking to myself, all right, I'm going to be secretive. I'm not going to share on social media that I'm going to the Carolinas to chase it. I'm not going to tell anyone cause I'm too embarrassed, but if it ends up being a hurricane, then I'll just make a dramatic reveal and say, Hey, I'm here. I'm in it. But I ended up just spilling the beans anyway, but I did go up to the Carolinas and it, you know, it was the start of the pattern this year. Actually, Hannah was the start of the pattern of storms kind of exploding right before landfall. You know, Hannah did it. It looked kind of like garbage. And then it, wow, it just suddenly looked really like, like a nice hurricane as it came in. And ECES was the same way, you know, it really looked like garbage its entire life until it got near the South Carolina coast. And all of a sudden, man, it just came together. Uh, and so that was, uh, I call that chase kind of sliding into home plate because, you know, I was driving, 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 and then I got it to the Carolinas and just managed to punch that one in time but yeah it was surprising uh how that one came together and the uh it was another kind of asymmetric storm where the the right side of it uh you know that that hit kind of the the wilmington area north carolina and, and the communities below it like wrightsville beach that was really the strong part and i wasn't in that part but i got right in the center of the eye i didn't get amazing footage in that one but it was not a bust. I got inside of it and, uh, and it ended up, I ended up saving it. So I felt good in that sense to, to go, to continue my bust less streak, which uh, has been going since 2016. <laughs> now did you, did you uh, 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 position yourself on Oak Island for that landfall or were you further East? I was an um, uh, um, ocean, ocean Isle uh, beach. If I'm saying the name of the community correctly, I was right exactly where the landfall point was. I did not get out on the islands, which would have been really cool, but I kind of, I was just running behind that whole chase. It was not one of my better chases, but I got basically right where it came ashore. But the real action for that one was not right. The landfall point. It really was east of the, of the landfall point. Uh, although interestingly, before I got my final location, I was in a North, uh, 
I was in a, a Myrtle Beach in North Myrtle Beach for a while, and uh, and and there was some serious storm surge happening there. Even though they were left of the center, there was like a lot of water coming in, and it's just a it's just a reminder, man. Um, and you know, I'll talk about this more as we go on. But you know, the U.S. so much of the U.S. coastline, the Gulf Coast, and also the Southeast is just so vulnerable to storm surge more than in other countries. Just the, the our, our continental the, the the slope of the continental shelf and just our, our coastline the way it is. Is uniquely vulnerable, and you just see that even in a Category One hurricane, you get this just massive storm surge inundation. Yeah, and, and our, our our wealth betrays us because it allows us to build fancy properties right up to the water's edge, which doesn't happen in a lot of the world. So that yeah. the impacts become worse, uh, even though the storm surge can happen just as bad in other places. Uh, Cool. Well, the one, the, the big one that came closest to me was Laura. Did you manage to get into Laura uh, somewhere in Lake Charles area? Yes. Yeah, so Laura, Laura was, of course, the, I would call it the big headline of the season. You know, very intense category four hurricane striking the U.S. and and unfortunately impacting some pretty pretty large population centers. Uh, Laura was a tough chase. You know. Uh, I love the state of Louisiana. I mean, I, I love New Orleans. I love the Bayou country. I love all those cool towns down there where people have those like interesting accents. I, I, I love everything about Louisiana, except chasing hurricanes there. <laughs> it, is, it is the most, every time when I, you know, when I'm getting ready for a chase and it looks like Louisiana, I'm always like, oh. Louisiana is very, 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 very launching uh, from a chase perspective. You know, um, it's, super flat basically the third the, the low the southern third of the state is just all sump um like you know six inches above sea level so you can be 20 25 miles inland and you're still vulnerable to storage so it, it makes chasing really vulnerable like i've chased in part taiwan and japan where it's the exact opposite like like there there are areas of taiwan and japan where when you're chasing, you're not even thinking about storm surge. It's not even a factor because there are these islands and they, they have like major hills right at the coast. It's like you want to get away from the storm surge, just go 20 feet, literally 20 feet inland. It's just like it's hills. Like there's no there's nothing to worry about. You don't even think about storm surge in Louisiana. It's all you think about. And it makes it really hard when you have an intense hurricane, one like Laura, like a serious heavy duty hurricane coming in. You know, you, you got to. It, you just can't get down there right on the coast and chase it. Well, you can't if you want to, you know, get out in one piece and not lose your car and all that, you know. So, um, so with Louisiana hurricane a lot of the time, and with this one, you kind of have to be a little far, a little further inland you want to be. So basically. I was trying to figure out, okay, you know, where along the stretch I want to be. And I think initially I was planning on being in Orange, Texas. It looked like it was going to come right at the border. But then that night I, I you know, I realized when I was looking at the radar, okay, it looks more I got to go east. I wanted to punch the exact center. So I ended up in Sulphur, Louisiana, which is the, which is the town next to uh, Lake Charles. It's just west of Lake Charles. And that ended up, in terms of getting in the center, that ended up being like the perfect bullseye, the actual exact center of that hurricane passed over sulfur. Now, Laura was a structurally, it, it, that thing was a freak show. You know, there was something weird about that hurricane. You know, usually the stronger a hurricane, the more sort of conventional the structure. I've known storms that are not well formed, weakening, 
the, the structure starts to get all weird. You find odd features about it. But usually with really strong hurricanes, you know, this is 150 mile an hour hurricane, you know, everything is very kind of textbook and it's put together in this like very sort of regular uh, and classic way. So the weird thing about Laura was uh, that the the precipitation eye and the wind eye were different. So everyone noticed this and people in Lake Charles noticed it and I noticed it in sulfur. You're in the aisle and you're getting like the crazy, uh, you know, the, the really crazy winds and, the, and the, the head rain and just the eyewall action. And then the rain just stopped and the radar said, the radar showed it too, you know, like I was, it, the radar said I was well into the eye and it was not raining, but the winds were still raging at like well over hurricane force. And that went on for a while. Now I've been in a lot of hurricanes where the, the, the transition from the eyewall into the eye is a little turbulent and, and there, there can be some remnant mesovortex action along the inner edge of the eye. Even in the calm area, you might get a sudden blast of wind, but this was not that. This was like, you were well into the eye and you were still getting really intense winds. And some folks are saying, oh, that's just because the, you know, the Lake Charles radar was down. So we're having to use Houston radar and it was some kind of displacement. And I'm like, no, 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 this was not a displacement thing. This was like, there was something weird about this hurricane. And I talked to some of the hurricane hunter guys and they said that they noticed it too in their recon missions, that there was just something very weird about this hurricane that you, that you got so far into the eye, the precipitation eye and the wind was still destructive. But finally, when I got into the exact middle of the of the radar eye, then I got a calm. Then I got like a dead, dead calm, but it was only in the, the really kind of very middle part of that eye. And that's also where I had my minimum pressure. My friends, uh, my fellow chaser dudes in Lake Charles, that's where most of the guys were. They never got that calm. They were, they were in the eye, but they were still getting, like they described as 100 mile hour winds the entire time they were in the eye and they never got the calm. The calm was only over sulfur because sulfur went through the exact middle. So that was just, <laughs> that was a very weird thing about that hurricane that I'd never experienced before. Uh, quite an impact. Uh, the wind damage in, in sulfur in Lake Charles was, was massive. You know, a lot of people said, oh, the hurricane center over forecasted it made people um it, it they 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 overstated storm surge threat um and that's actually not correct you know they went in afterward and they found that the storm surge was really high i think it went over 17 feet it was a fortunate turn of events where it came ashore uh, i shouldn't say that it was fortunate obviously it wasn't but if it had come, it came ashore basically like right where Spur and Lake Charles are. So those towns were in the center, meaning that the, the maximum storm surge was actually east of those. If the hurricane had come a little further west, you know, let's say near right at the Texas Louisiana border, uh, and Lake Charles and Sulphur had been right at the center, that massive storm surge would have penetrated inland and hit those towns, and it would have been a much different story. The hurricane was dating enough, but had it come ashore a little further west, we would have been talking a whole other level of devastation. Wow. That, uh, uh, Sally was probably one of the storms I was most interested in, I guess, because I keep looking at heavy rainfall events and it fit the classic pattern for the storms that give you more than 25 inches of rain. Did you flood it all while you were chasing Sally? 
That was the big concern, I remember, because I think the, the forward motion, it was agonizing as it came ashore. It just, my God, it moved so slowly. It just, it just drove you crazy. And that was the big concern was the, was the rainfall. And that was going to be, I remember the biblical flooding was going to be the headline. But I think the headline with Sally ended up being what happened right, right as it came ashore. I mean, I remember I was, I was, you know, I got to Alabama where it looked like it was going to come in and the, um, all day long, the thing looked like total garbage on radar. I didn't think it was even going to come in as a hurricane. It just, it was just having issues. I mean, it looked like scrambled eggs on radar. I'm like, this thing is not a hurricane. It can't be. Um, and, and basically, you know, my, my kind of, uh, I, I noticed there's sort of a sliding scale, the, the weaker, the hurricane, the more aggressive I am about chasing it. You know, like if it's, if it's i uh, I'll take more chances. I'll just, I'll be more kind of, yeah, just more aggressive, you know, if, if I think the hurricane isn't that strong, because I'm just, you know, I'm trying to make it interesting. And I was treating Sally that way. And then what happened in the final hours, and I mean, the final hours, the thing just exploded, it just came together. And, you know, it, it came ashore, not just as a hurricane, but it was, it was pushing category three as it came ashore. It, the thing just really just like revved up as it was coming ashore. And something I've noticed, you know, Hurricanes that are on the upswing that are strengthening seem to have more of an angry edge than ones that are weakening. So if you take like a 90 knot hurricane, sorry, 105 mile an hour hurricane, sorry, I know not to talk knots when I'm talking like in mainstream uh, discussions, but you take a 100 mile an hour hurricane, the, the, if it's on the upswing, if it's like intensifying, it just seems to have more of an angry edge than one that's, you know, hundred miles an hour, but weakening. And so Sally came in at Gulf Shores, Alabama, uh, you know, as a, as a, a strengthening, very strong category two hurricane pushing category three. And I was just, you know, by the time I realized how strong it was, I, I was, <laughs> it was too late to take cover. I was, I was in my car on, on the, uh, the, the beach Boulevard in Gulf Shores, just getting raped. And that thing really surprised me. Uh, I, I was, I was not expecting such an intense hurricane. That thing really had an edge. It was, uh, it was something uh, amazingly it was another nighttime landfall but the cool thing is i don't know gulf shores alabama like i i want to give praise to their uh whoever like handles the power grid there because the the, the electricity stayed on almost almost to the eye so so even as a nighttime landfall, the man, the lights were on and you could see what was happening. And I got some good footage in that one. So I was really, I was really impressed with, uh, with how well the grid stayed up and it made it so that even though it was a nighttime landfall, I felt like I could really document it. And that was cool. Wow. Amazing storm. Then, yeah. uh, then you, do, then we uh, delve into the Greek alphabet you're multilingual. Do you speak Greek? <laughs> no, this has actually been really educational. You know, I feel like 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 the, the late part of the season is almost like it's like the Sesame Street of the Greek alphabet. It's like, you know, teaching you a letter at a time and, you know, you're learning them in order. Yeah, no, it's been really I, I actually didn't know the Greek alphabet past like the first three letters. And now, man, we're learning like a lot of it. Yeah, I, I would. I was going into uh, flashbacks to nightmares of differential equations and using <laughs> Uh, that's why I never became a meteorologist. It was that stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be a chaser, dude, because I don't want to <laughs> do that math. <laughs> it was something else, but then uh, uh, 
I remember following uh, Delta with dismay because it looked like it was going to be really bad for the place that it, another place that had already been hit a theme that's happened this year in uh, Louisiana. So you went back to Lake Charles, did you, for uh, Delta? Well, Delta was a was a double whammy for me. So so I, even though I said, you know, because of the pandemic, I don't want to fly. I I ended up breaking my rule and um, and I, I decided to hunt down Delta in on the Yucatan. Uh, and the reason was, you know, climatology drives a lot of my decisions. And and there's one thing I know, it's that October hurricanes on the Yucatan can just be nuclear grade. You know, that's like where the real stuff happens. You know, just like that, like the East Coast of the Yucatan, October, man, it's like, it's like the Philippines. It's like, you can expect crazy stuff to happen. So the the impact of delta on the on the u.s gulf coast was not like it was unclear what was going to happen but it looked like the yucatan impact was going to be big so i drove to new orleans and took an overnight flight and went down to the yucatan and hunted it there now it it weakens a little which is unusual it was actually kind of not what i expected it came ashore right now they they estimate it was a very strong category two almost category three but it really it, it was it was quite destructive uh the center of it came ashore um, uh, pretty close to Cancun. And uh, and even though the storm had been on a weakening trend, Cancun got absolutely raked. There was a lot of wind damage. Uh, like, I mean, palm trees snapped off, facades of buildings um, uh, collapsed. I mean, it really was like a mess. Uh, and, and I mean, the place was really banged up. And then I realized, okay, there's going to be a chapter two here. I need to get back to the U.S. And that was pretty hard to figure out. It managed to get from Cancun to New Orleans and then do a round two and chase it in Louisiana. And, you know, as I was chasing that one, you know, it really broke my heart. I was I was down very close to, you know, in the, in the southern Louisiana, very close to where uh, Laura had hit. And, you know, you could see the scars from Laura. You know, like you could see all the houses with blue tarps you could see the debris piles. You could see, you know, houses with the socked off or walls cracked open. And no, it really just, man, it like broke your heart. You're like, oh God, do these people have to go through this again? And as you were just saying, Bill, it was a theme of the year that certain areas got hit again and again. You know, Nicaragua just got two hurricanes. The Yucatan, you know, had tropical storm gamma which was almost a hurricane and then it had delta and then of course it had zeta which we're going to talk about in a minute and then of course louisiana was the other hot spot i mean louisiana just got hit again and again and there, there was something really cruel about that uh fortunately uh you know delta was not as strong as laura but it you know it had some serious impact down there wow and uh i guess your last one to uh, capture was uh uh, Zeta, did you did you do an instant replay? Did you do Mexico, U.S. on that one also? Oh, man, that was a weird chase because yeah, it was it was like Groundhog Day. I felt like I was stuck in. It's like you know when you're sick and you have a fever and you have like some kind of repetitive dream that just like the same thing keeps happening. Like <laughs> that was Zeta. It was like, and it, what made it even worse was I think that the flights that I like I think the flight itinerary by coincidence ended up being the same for for zeta as it was for delta so i I flew in at the same times of day with the same connections and both hurricanes came ashore at night so it literally was like this freaky replay and i just was like i was like almost like getting the experiences confused i'm like i was having like deja vu the whole time (laughs) it was really weird um 
that was a Zeta was weird because the the you know you expect generally the Yucatan gets the monster monster impact and then the U.S. gets sloppy seconds and this was the opposite. Uh, Zeta just kind of never really came together and it hit the Yucatan. It was a category one. It was not a wolf form system. There, I got in the eye, collected some data, but it was it was pretty much a dud, which I was very happy about because you know this the Yucatan had just been hit and, and smashed pretty good by Delta. So the last thing they needed was another bad impact. I was really happy. You got off very easy uh, in, in uh, I'm getting them confused in Zeta. <laughs> Literally I'm getting confused. The, the, the Greek names in particular, they all rhyme. Like they just become this like blur in my head. So that was really good news. So then I raced back to the U S and I had very little time. Now, unlike Delta, um, Zeta moved very fast across the Gulf. So I had very little time to get from Cancun to the Gulf Coast. There was like basically 24 hours to figure it out. Uh, and, and I, because New Orleans was in the firing line, I couldn't fly into New Orleans. So, or, or I didn't want to risk it. I was worried about the New Orleans landing being canceled. So I decided to play it safe, I guess. And I flew into Atlanta and then jumped in a car and drove overnight from Atlanta back home to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, because it looked like it was going to be in the firing line. And crazy enough, the season finale for what I call Operation Deep South, my whole summer and fall down here, I call Operation Deep South, my, you know, my living down here in hunting hurricanes. But the finale of Operation Deep South, I that final impact, I wrote it out on the porch of my house in base St. Louis while the right Iowa that hurricane blasted my town. It was, it was like, you couldn't have written a book with a more perfect ending. I mean, not in a good way, but just in like a weird poetic justice way that the final one just came right to me. And, and that thing had serious impact. You know, it was the hurricane was really fast. And if you look on the radar, that intense right eye wall just passed right over Bay St. Louis. So that the, the intensity of that eye wall plus the fast forward motion meant that we got raked and this town got banged up good. A lot of fallen trees, a lot of damaged roofs. I mean, just this place really got clobbered and uh, it passed quickly. It didn't the worst of it lasted about 40 minutes, but it was intense. A house across the street from mine got crushed by a falling tree. I talked to another family across the street and they said the height of the storm that the, the front of their house was starting to bend inward and they were they were riding it out with their kids in a small interior hallway it was a it was really stronger than i think a lot of people in bay st louis were expecting keep in mind october 28th is really late for a hurricane in mississippi that in itself made it weird and then after it passed, there was the aftermath that i had to uh, sort of live through, which was uh, which was a Interesting experience for me. Uh, you know, I've this is the first time I've actually lived through a hurricane aftermath since I was 15. You know, like not having power, the cleanup, all that. And so, uh, you know, that was actually that was an experience for me to kind of just, just not just sort of get in and get out, but just, you know, just experience it like the residents. You know, I was a resident, you know, living without power, cleaning up, you know, the lines, you know, for, uh, for necessities and everything. So that was a, it was an interesting way around out the chase season. Wow. Uh, before we run out of time, Tim, you've got some questions for uh, 
Mr. Josh. We've got some coming in from online, Josh, and, and a lot of, lot of you know, little hearts that fly across the screen as you're making comments. So people are enjoying what you're saying. So we appreciate that. Uh, Marcel's asking a number of questions, so I'll try to get it all down to one. He wants to know if you're thinking of writing a book. What future projects are you thinking of doing? Keeping it hardcore chasing or maybe something different? No, it's a great question. And, you know, folks, I get asked about a book a lot and, you know, I, I never considered it, but enough people have asked me about it that I'm thinking, you know, I'm starting to, to think about it a little bit because I do, as folks who follow me online know, I do, I do like to write, you know, I am a writer. I like to describe my experiences, you know, not just with video, but I do like to describe kind of the experience of it. So it's something I'm starting to toy with. And also we are, a lot of people also ask me about my TV series, Hurricane Man, and we are trying to resurrect for season two we were actually close to having a deal in place and then the pandemic just kind of threw that off just like it threw off so many you know business deals but we are thinking hopefully to have hurricane man season two going again uh uh, this coming season, you know, with me based in Mississippi, we're working on putting that together and that would obviously be very cool I would like to I'd like to have that going again did you get any thoughts to going to chase iota to going down to Nicaragua Honduras Oh, great question, man. Great question, because I wrestled with it, you know. So so I I do a lot of research on the, like like I'm always looking for exciting new places to chase. And and the research when you when you're looking at chasing new places, whether it be India, Madagascar, wherever it is. It's a lot of research beforehand. I really researched these places years in advance, and I also learned the climatology and everything else. And I've been interested in Nicaragua for a while. But if anyone if you zoom in on Nicaragua, the Nicaragua coast, especially that northeast part where um, Iota and Eta both hit, um, you'll see why I didn't chase those storms. I like to chase storms. I like to hunt down the core, hunt down the eye. And if you look at the, those places, you can't do that. Puerto, there's this big town called Puerto Cabezas, but outside of that, you can't adjust. There, there aren't roads there, there, like to get to the, the next town that's 10 miles down. There's no roads. I don't know how people get to those towns, maybe by boat, but it's not like chasing in the US or in Mexico where you could actually really like just adjust. There's highways. It's not like that up there. And my feeling is if I can't actually hunt down the storm and get in the core, it's not as appealing to me. And, you know, yeah, obviously Puerto Cabezas got a direct hit. It would be cool to be there to document such an important event. But, you know, both these hurricanes, it looks like the eye wall of both Eta and Iota looks like the actual eye wall missed Puerto Cabezas. Now, the, the town, don't get me wrong, not minimizing the impact. It's still got really heavy impacts. But it, those would have been frustrating chases because of the lack of roads up there. So, so I wrestled with it. But after just really assessing the infrastructure and what was there and what was available, to chase I, I decided not to i've got a couple more building i'll toss it back to you um but when you made your plans to go to mississippi could you ever have imagined that this season was going to turn out the way it was you, we knew it was going to be active but to have the kind of impacts it did and to finish you know right where you are did you have any inkling that it was going to be like this crazy how it turned out. I mean, you, know, you think about the typical year the U.S. gets one or two hurricanes for the U.S. to get six and then for them all to be right here in the Gulf Coast. Now, I mean, I and then for the final one to actually a town where I'm living. I mean, it, it, it's like it's crazy. You know, people I, I yeah, some people I, th I, I believe think I now have like magical powers. Like I've, I've put a hex on the Gulf Coast by my presence. I'm like, they're going to they're going to run me out of your riches and <laughs> pitchforks. <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't cause it. It's just a coincidence, I swear. <laughs> so don't take it personally if we don't want to rent our house in South Texas to you next year, okay? <laughs> oh, no, I'm already in bad vibes. I mean, fortunately, the owner of this house, is, he's he's cool. You know, he's like, he's 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 uh, he's going to rent it to me next year, so I'll be back in a hurricane house. But you know, like, I am worried about like people blaming me. <laughs> so has any other, as far as you know, any other human being been in, on the ground in 38 hurricane eyes, you know, I mean, is that, Not that I'm aware like of. pretty unique? Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, the, when I was in hurricane man, the, 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 uh, the BBC, it was a BBC product, UK TV, BBC, they, they're really into fact checking. So they wanted to know, okay, have I been in more hurricanes than any person in history, at least as far as we know. And, and, based on their faction and us checking around, it looks like my 55 hurricane eye walls or at the time it, I was in the high forties at the time that hurricane man was made. But, but that's, I don't know anyone who's been in hurricanes. I'm not aware of anyone past or present who has. So I, unless I'm told otherwise, I believe it is a record. I mean, obviously someone in the, you know, 50 years ago, couldn't have done this because, you know, the, the availability of travel and technological tools for monitoring hurricanes give us a leg up over people historically. And also storm chasing is kind of a modern thing. I don't know people 50 years ago, we are 60 years ago, were chasing. I mean, you know, they're, they're you know, the, the first hurricane chasers, like, for example, Jim Leonard, you know, he, you know, he started chasing, I think, in the 70s. So, it's pretty unique, very definitely unique. And, you know, you look at the hurricane hunters or planes, they fly into a lot of them. We're talking ground base. You know, standing in the middle of it is pretty unique. Exactly. And I want to clarify that, that I'm talking about on the ground. Of course, some of those hurricane hunters in the planes, I think some of them have been in more, call them pennies. I learned that because I'm friends of the hurricane center, the hurricane hunter guys, they call penetrations pennies. And they actually, like me, they count their pennies and they um, and they actually have badges for numbers of pennies. So yeah, I learned that lingo recently. So uh, yeah, uh, so, so I'm talking about on the ground. I make no claims to uh, having exceeded what they do in the air. <laughs> Terrific. Bill, any last questions before we wrap up? It's coming up on 11 o'clock. Yeah, I can, I can think of one storm that I bet you probably wish you had gotten because I was watching it on the radar from the Philippines. Did, did, did you have any thoughts about uh, breaking your rule and trying to fly over there or were the logistics or the COVID crisis too big? You know, you're, you're talking about Goni, of course, and, uh, you know, which, which you know, came ashore at a very intense Category 5. I wanted to chase it, but, you know, it, the, the Philippines, like a lot of those Eastern Asian countries, is ba- at least at that time, was, as far as I know, was just shut down, meaning borders closed, meaning there was no decision to be made. You just couldn't enter. But absolutely, in a normal year, I would have been there because that was one of those examples where like like super typhoon Haiyan, you knew from the computer models and from how it looked, you knew days out that it was going to be a major impact. There, there would have been an easy decision to get out there. And I certainly would have been there. And that was, that was, you know, obviously my biggest regret of the year because that would have been chaseable and that would have been a tremendous uh, event to document. You know, I came ashore at Content Duenas Island and I fantasized that I would have been there with my barometers collecting air pressure readings in the eye of that thing, which might've been sub 900, but uh, I'm not going to be greedy. I had a good chase season here. Good. Yeah. When I saw the pictures of the damaged radar and then the totally denuded forests there on that Island, that was impressive. 
Yeah, what was weird about that hurricane though was, or sorry, typhoon was it? It the the initial impact in Catanduanes Island was you know very intense. I mean, they have to assess it, but it was way up there. But that thing fell apart like really fast. The second landfall, it was nowhere near as strong, and it just turned into scrambled eggs about halfway through the Philippines. It did not. By the time it got to Metro Manila, it wasn't even a typhoon. I've never seen a typhoon fall apart so fast crossing the Philippines or something, just something weird, how fast it just unraveled. Yeah. Well, Josh, we really appreciate uh, living hurricanes vicariously through your adventures. Uh, I hope for many more successful years. Really enjoyed chatting with you today. Thank you very much. It is always great to talk to you guys. And uh, I love the uh, uh, National Tropical Weather Conference. It's my favorite conference and it's fun to do this. I don't want to say off season appearance because it's in season, but off season for the conference. And I'm looking forward to April, which I hope, hope, hope the, uh, the hurricane gods and the COVID gods will allow us to do in person. Great. Thank you, Josh. Again, we appreciate it. And we do hope to see you in April in person on South Pottery Island and not in August on South Pottery Island where you're chasing something. We'd like to see you <laughs> in that off season. That's a good thing for all of us. So, Josh, we appreciate it. Bill, as always, great job, uh, great questions, great insight. And we appreciate that as well. I've still got a list of about 40 questions, so we'll have to save those for next time. Thanks for joining us on Hurricane Center, produced by the Storm Science Network and made possible by USAA South Padre Island Convention and Tourist Bureau, and Plylux Hurricane Clips. You can find other episodes on HurricaneCenterLive.com.